Hello to you all and welcome to the Pitcast by us here at the Pit, the Pit Crew Online. From the fans, for the fans. It is debrief number three. The Hungarian Grand Prix was last weekend, following on two consecutive races at the Red Bull Ring, with two vastly different race outcomes. And today I am proudly going to proudly join. Uh, I'm struggling. I am proudly joined by my by two of my pit crew colleagues. First up, we have Aaron. Hi guys, nice to be back on the podcast. This is your first debrief, I understand. Yeah, first debrief. Yep. And uh, next up, uh, some congratulations are in order because Rob here has become the deputy F1 editor. Congratulations, Rob. Thank you. Yeah, I've been there a couple of years, so uh, it's good to have the opportunity. So, yeah, thank you to, to Simon for promoting me and I look forward to doing the best I can with it. All right. So, Hungarian Grand Prix. I've made some points here. And uh, first thing I want us to all... T- oh, yeah, I should probably have said my name is Luca, but you all probably may have already known that. Yeah, I don't matter here. It's, it's mainly you. <laughs> right. Now, I'll get on a bit unprofessional. Right. Racing point with, their, with all these rumours that apparently Sebastian Vettel might be moving over to uh, Racing Point, which is going to become Aston Martin next year. Uh, and it's very much expected that Lance Stroll is going to be his teammate, which means Sergio Perez is out the door. Uh, first, Rob, I'm, I want your opinions on the, this potential driver shock. Not, maybe not even a shock because not, because Lawrence Stroll's not going to get fired his son, is he? No matter how bad he is. I can't see him doing that, no. Um... There's nothing. Uh, uh, getting a four-time world champion into the team is is never a bad thing. Um, so you, you wouldn't begrudge Racing Point or or Aston Martin that uh, that kind of decision or that opportunity to have him on board. Um, and I think Sebastian he gets a lot of stick for for his performances these days. But you know he's he's still showing uh, even now that that he is quick and 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 as I say you know he's won four championships. That doesn't just happen for for no reason. So. Uh, I think it would be a, a great move for them to, to have somebody like him in their team. Um, yeah. Whilst I'd be very happy for Sebastian, obviously leaving Ferrari at the end of the season, and, and we hope he stays in Formula One. Somebody eventually always has to lose out um, when kind of drivers swap around and new drivers come in. You know, somebody gets forced out of the sport. It happened with Nico Hulkenberg last year, and, and I thought that was undeserved, but these things happen. Um, as opposed to which one it would be, obviously, ordinarily, if it wasn't Lawrence Stroll managing that team. Um, well, first of all, Esteban Ocon probably would have stayed for, for 2019. But um, yeah, he's not going to fire his son. Uh, you know, obviously he's um, he's given him a seat in Formula One, and um, you know, agree with it or not, that kind of gives Lance that security. And in fairness, um, you know, Lance actually did a, a, a fantastic job in in Hungary. I think he on his day, he can be a very good racing driver. Um, but for Sergio Perez, you know, he's had podiums in Formula One. He's a very, very consistent driver. He'll consistently score points. He these days rarely, you know, makes a mistake. Um, so I think it would be very harsh on him. You could say it's the nature of the beast, but you can also say that is it fair that Lance Stroll gets to stay in the sport because of his dad? Maybe not. But um, I think with with this whole rumor that's that's going on, uh, as I say, someone's always going to have to. Um, you know, see the door, and uh, that's it's not always an easy easy decision to to take. But uh, sadly, it's one that's that's going to be made one way or the other. But I certainly can't see Lance Stroll um, being being dropped by by his dad. 
I am um, something I have always. I mean, when Lance Stroll came to F1, I looked at his results in the lower formula, and he seemed to be quite impressive. Then there was all these rumours about how his dad paid off all of his teammates in like the lower, the ch lower championships to not race him, and he always got put with the best teams. Which, considering I remember in uh, Lance Stroll's U European F3 championship winning season in 2016. Nick Cassidy, who famously never had the budget to race in Europe, was somehow capable of racing in Europe that year. I wonder how. But anyway, uh, enough of that. Uh, Lance Stroll has obviously proven that he is a competent driver. But Aaron, I think, I think we could all agree that if Racing Point, the pink Mercedes, soon to be Aston Martin, which will probably be a green Mercedes, uh, ends up potentially helping Lance Stroll win a championship, nobody really wants to see a championship being engineered in such a way that someone could actually like a no one wants to see a championship won in a way that it's essentially just bought for them wouldn't you agree well i mean <clears throat> lance stroll yeah he's got the pay driver tag i mean you know he does get that name but like you say his junior categories his his record is impressive and like he came this weekend he you know he nearly got on the podium and he has a podium to his name from baku a couple of years ago um I mean, there's a lot of legality about Racing Point and Mercedes, whether they did copy it's I mean it looks like it on paper, on you know, from a, a glance. But um I don't know, I think every championship's bought to an extent, you know, whoever puts the most budget in, whoever puts, you know, the most into their car, which is Mercedes at the minute, um, seem to be, you know, reap the rewards of it. Um and F one's always been the same, you know, whoever spends the money you gotta you know, spend the money to win, win big, you know. Um, I don't know, I think Racing Point, can they challenge for titles yet? I mean, there's Mercedes and Red Bull and I was going to say Ferrari to overcome, but um, I think they can get up there and obviously Aston Martin coming in next season, that will, I think, push them up a level. But um, someone has to dethrone Mercedes at some point, don't they? Hopefully by 2022, we'll have a bit more of a, a balanced act because right now Mercedes are unstoppable. Um, I'll, I'm going to just keep you here, Aaron. I, I do want to ask though, Aston Martin coming into F1, uh, obviously Lawrence Stroll bought a share in uh, or stake or whatever the terminology is in Aston Martin. Um, but Aston Martin were at that point looking to compete in the World Endurance Championship and now they've withdrawn their efforts at least at the very least for like a year or so but now they if they're going to come to F1 they really have to really justify it and I think getting a, a name like Vettel or even what I'm hearing now Max Verstappen might even be interested because if he were to go into that team he could be in like prime position to take over Lewis Hamilton's Mercedes seat once he calls it a day so do you is it is it like essential now potentially that Aston Martin next year will really want a big name and Perez will be shown the door. Yeah, I think you've got to make a statement of intent. You know, you need your marquee signing. Um, when Toyota came in early 2000s, I don't think they really did that. They had, you know, Alan McNish and Mika Salo, who, no disrespect to them, they're both fantastic drivers, but they're not that name pull, that wow, they're going for it this year. Um, if, Red, you know, if Aston Martin got Vettel or Verstappen, two very big names, I'd feel sorry for Perez, because I think Perez is probably the best driver to, you know, outside of the top three teams. I think, you know, he's been consistent, he's quick, always up and around there. Um, 
But like you say, someone has to be shown the door and Lance Stroll isn't going to be it, is he, if, if his dad owns the team. Um, so I think getting Vettel in there, whether he gets out of this little slump he's in or not, his expertise and his know-how and the fact he's a four-time world champion sort of speaks for itself, really. Uh, Rob, I'm going to throw it over to you and I would also like to know um, who would you expect Perez to potentially race for um, if he was to be shown the dark racing point? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think teams like Alfa Romeo, I don't think they've fully decided yet on on their lineup. Haas as well. Um, Grosjean and Magnussen, you know, are they going to stay at Haas for next season? Who, who really knows? The, the problem is, at this stage of his career, um, I think it's it's got to the point now where the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari aren't going to be looking at, at Sergio Perez. They'll be looking at younger talent like like George Russell. Obviously, Carlos Sainz is going to Ferrari for, for next year. Red Bull, um, obviously, they're going to be looking at their, their young driver pool. Will Pierre Gasly go up for, for next year? Again, you know, I, I don't really see Perez being given a seat there. It would be, uh, be nice if he does get a seat at a top team. Uh, and that could still happen. It's not outside the realms of possibility. Um, but uh, it, it's kind of an, another midfield team, really, that you would expect Perez to to go to. And I think, obviously, he would have been looking for more than that. But uh, after after he left McLaren, um, it, it kind of became evident over the next over the following couple of years, you know, fourteen and fifteen, that despite the podiums, uh, a move to a, a really top team wasn't going to happen for him. And now that it looks like Racing Point uh, going into Aston Martin are, are, are going to go into this period of being a, a competitive team. Perez is being shown the door again, as he was in um, in in his in his McLaren days. So uh, it's a real shame for him because just as as I say, just as we we thought that he was finally going to get that opportunity at a big team, it now looks like it's going to be all over with with Sebastian Vettel joining. And he's uh, he's just one of the 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 most consistently performing drivers on on the grid. So that's a shame. But yeah, realistically, you, you're looking at teams like Haas and Alfa Romeo, <clears throat> possibly Williams if if George Russell gets gets moved on um, from from Williams to a, a bigger challenge like Mercedes. And um, yeah, but but sadly, I wouldn't really see Perez. You know, um, yeah, driving in any other team than than another field competitor like as I say, like Renault or uh, excuse me, like Haas or Alfa. Um, it'd be interesting to see though if I don't know what you guys think about it if um, if you would you know look at a move elsewhere um, other than other than Formula One because um, I think obviously there will be drives out there I do remember at the end of last year Perez said that he would potentially look outside of F1 if he continued to only ever be in midfield cars and the second he gets a, a car which is supposedly Involved yeah, running up the front, he's now potentially going to be ousted in favour of a four-time champ and a daddy's boy. Sorry, I had to get one of those in. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on then to the actual race itself. So, at the start of the race, we had a few drivers coming in because it was like a wet-to-dry um, start. And there was almost a masterclass performed because I think it was Daniel Kvyat and two horses. They came to the pits. And at the start of the race, and Kvyat came back in and put on the, um, the dry tyres, uh, the wet tyres again, and the horses stayed out. And it was, we, we, we I remember it was um, last year in Hockenheim, uh, near the end of the race, when Lance Stroll put on the dries, had a full lap at racing speed on a drying track to warm up the tyres before the safety car came in for all the people on the cold inters and uh, 
I think some were on wetness as well. And Stroll just catapulted through the field. And then when everyone came in, he was leading the race and he eventually finished fourth. And we we, we're not that used to seeing these strategic masterclasses um, in wet to dry conditions ever since Jensen Button left the sport. Because he, he always did that, his first win in Hungary, um, the 2011 Hungarian Grand Prix, Canada, all that. So uh, it was very refreshing. Uh, like I remember before the race, F1 posted, who's going to get their second podium first? And one of the people on there was Magnussen, and another one was Stroll, Norris, Sainz, uh, Gasly. And um, I said, well, Stroll seems the most likely now, because he's, what was he, third on the grid? Third and, on the grid. Yeah, and then Magnussen was at the front, like in third place. And I thought, well, is this actually going to happen? It didn't in the end, but, and then, then they got a penalty. But, um, sorry, I'm waffling on. Uh, Rob, talk a little bit about the, the, the rock star look that they, that Haas got in, to quote Gunter Steiner at the start of the 2018 series of Drive to Survive. Yeah, they're the big boys again. Um, you know, challenging with, uh, with well, challenging with kind of the third best team. And um, I remember they were running fourth and fifth in Australia uh, before the, the the pit stop dramas. Sadly, you know, back then that pace was on merit. Um, not so much now, but it was a it was a bold decision from from Haas and. Um, I can't remember if Kvyat did pit or if he stayed out. I'm trying to no, remember. I pitted. I pitted, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a it was a great decision. That's the thing about about wet races, especially wet races that transition into dry races, um, is that you just never know who's going to pull the rabbit out of the hat and and just take that that um, that gamble. Really, obviously, the Haas cars were already starting towards the back, so a pit lane start didn't really affect them too much. Um, and they they guessed right. I was, I guess you could say, surprised um, that nobody else really made that decision but you never really know until you kind of see the guinea pigs come in and and all of a sudden they've got pace um it was great to see uh, obviously they, they ended up falling back down the field but you know they were smart they didn't kind of get involved in any battles that um that they didn't need to and in the end that that took kevin to well to one point in the end after after the penalty so it was a really really good move that's why we love these these wet races that's why we love changeable conditions in formula one because it can give you these really surprise results as you said lance stroll uh last year in in hockenheim made that another really bold decision to to put onto the slicks and it worked um i remember you mentioned jensen button i remember melbourne 2010 as well when it looks way too wet for the slicks but he pitted onto the slicks ran wide in turn three so everybody thought no it's too wet and lo and behold, it dries up and, and Jensen ends up taking the lead after, um, I think it was Vettel's brake failure in, in that race. So um, it was really good to see it. Unfortunately, it, it didn't pan out, you know, uh, as, a, as a podium for, for either Kevin or Roman. But uh, yeah, it was a, a great strategic move and, and something that we, we love to see when we get these wet races. Uh, Aaron, um, I'm going to have to ask you a bit about Bottas's start now. Um, so last year in Suzuka, Vettel was started on pole position. He creaked away slightly, but held it in the position. And if anything, he didn't really benefit at all uh, from that moving forward slightly. Uh, same here with Bottas, but people obviously are a bit more vocal because how dare they not punish a Mercedes? There's mafia all over again and blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, Bottas's start, he seemed to move forward slightly, stopped, and then he was just like miles behind the field, ended up finishing third behind Verstappen and the dominant Hamilton. Uh, talk us through the, um, well, again, why he wasn't penalised, and, and in the end, it was justified, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the way penalties usually should work is if you've gained an advantage from it, you know, you should be brought back down or pegged back, you know. Um, you know, Bottas did, he sort of jumped, then stopped, then went off again. So he hadn't really gained anything. If anything, it looks like he's bogged down and got away slower. So he hadn't really gained anything from, and a penalty would just be exacerbating it. You know, he's already got an issue. He's already lost time off the bog start. If he was, if he jumped the start and was ahead of Hamilton by turn two, then yeah, pull him back down. But I don't see the point of, of penalising him further if he's already not gained any advantage from it. Yeah, and uh, some I, I can imagine. I remember back in um, the last Grand Prix at Styria, uh, the clerk and Vettel. When they collided, um, the FIA announced no further action on that because, in the end, they're both, both their races are ruined anyway. What, what, what good would a penalty really do at that point? Yeah, exactly. You know, they're both out, so that penalty had been not, they've been pointless. All right. Speaking of teams who have experienced the bottomless pit of uh, F1 luck and competitiveness, uh, Williams. They have had the thick of it, the thick of it over the last few years. We've obviously seen them uh, be revitalised back to about the beginning of the hybrid area, 2014. Massa got pole in Austria that year. Bottas could have potentially won Silverstone. And every year since then, they they kept they were third in both 2014 and 15. Then they were like fourth in 16, and it's since been a downhill slope until last year when they really couldn't have gotten any lower. The single point. Qualifying 19th and 20th the whole time this year. Their, their qualifying seems, I mean, their pace might be masked somewhat by the changeable conditions in uh, the qual- in qualifying for the Styrian and Hungarian Grand Prix, but George Russell really has been outperforming that car. Nicholas Satifi, he, uh, he has, he's probably not the highest rated of all the drivers at all, um, but he has at least been proven to have been somewhat competent. Um, in, in the event, in the races that he has had. So, Rob, I'm going to throw this to you. Williams are performing a bit of a fight back, even if their race base isn't great so far. They, they've at least got some bit of qualifying uh, promise. I think if you look at Williams's performance over the last 10, 15 years, and you like drew a graph of their performance, it would be the most undulating line you've ever seen. Um, it's It's been crazy how much they've, they've ebbed and flowed. And... Um, I think it's you know it's testament to, to Claire Williams and um, and to Frank Williams that uh, you know they've been able to to kind of keep that team going and, and keep their heads up you know when when it's got hard especially as it did last year. Um, the Williams is still one of the the slowest cars on the grid, but they really are starting to catch up to that to that midfield pack now and and kind of get amongst the. Um, you know the the middle teams. Obviously, they're they're not quite there yet. But George got um, P12. I think it was in 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 Styria. Um, P12 as well in, in Hungary in qualifying. Um, it was a shame that it kind of went wrong in the uh, in the first few laps in in Austria when he um, oh, Styria when he ran wide. Um, but yeah, the the Williams seems to be more competitive. Uh, they've got two drivers. Obviously, Latifi pace wise isn't. Uh, quite on on George's level at the moment. Obviously, this is this is rookie season. You can only really expect so much, especially uh, you know alongside an immense talent like George Russell. But um, you know they they're both very really driven. They're both competitive. Um, they're both really really pushing that car. Um, <clears throat> you know Williams have <clears throat> excuse me. Um, Williams have really I think made gains, but you know obviously we we know that they can still do a lot more. 
um, to, to kind of get off the bottom because they're, they're still there or thereabouts really. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's improving a lot. Um, you can see over the, over the first three rounds, um, they're not kind of just, just the back markers who, you know, are going to finish 19th and 20th every race. Um, they're, they're making a fist of it and hopefully that, that will improve as the season goes on with development of the car and, and hopefully obviously it improves into, into next season as well. But yeah, it's, um, I think the fact that they're more competitive is definitely highlighting as well, just how exciting George Russell is, um, with, with his pace and his talent, uh, his racing ability. So, um, yeah, let's, let's hope that this upwards curve now can continue for, for a while and obviously get, get a lot bigger. Williams recently put themselves up for sale. Um, they will be the, if when they do eventually sell up, it will be the first time I think throughout their entire history that they're not majority owned by the Williams family. And it is, it is a shame obviously that we are, that we've seen an F1 legend fall so much to the point now that they have had to sell up or if they don't want to risk going under. Williams is such an iconic team. But in the end, it, it, it is something that has to be done in order to survive in this, in this climate nowadays. You know, you want to be able to continue having these guys on the grid and uh, so if that has to happen, so be it. And I just, I do hope more than anything that we can see Williams just getting back into the points finishes, even if they're not like a leading team. I just, just make sure that they're not Hispania levels of horrendous racing team. I, that was unintentional, I promise. So, um, Aaron, what have you got to add regarding Williams's upturn in fortune? Um, yeah, I mean, it's great to see they are coming back. You know, like you say, they are a legendary team. And you, it's a bit of a trend at the minute. I mean, McLaren did it couple of years ago with Honda they went right down and they've come back up so I think Williams can do it maybe they have to sell the soul to the devil a little bit and sell a bit of the team off to do so I think it'd be the right call eventually um you know George Russell exciting driver Latifi he looks all right he got into Q2 on Saturday um which is great to see both Williams is out of Q1 I, I think it's been a couple of years since that happened um yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Williams personally, so I'm, I'm really excited to see that they are starting to make strides towards the, you know, the top again. Um, and I feel like Claire Williams has come under a lot of flack for it, you know, um, people blame her for the issues that they've had, which I think is frankly a bit ridiculous. Um, she's, you know, she's good. I mean, her dad's got knowledge so, and she's been watching him for years. So I feel like she's definitely the right person for the job. And I think they can get back up there soon, hopefully. I um, I don't want to bring up a point. Uh, Nicholas Latifi, his, um, so it's it's no secret, obviously, that he's a pair driver. In fact, um, if we look at his junior formula career, I feel like I've brought this up before, his only year when he had any sort of success was F2 last year, finishing runner-up to Nick DeFries in his fifth season. And as we know, typical company that you're expecting like doing well in F2, GP2 at that, after that many years, including the likes of Maldonado and Palmer, not great company, but like with Stroll and so many other drivers that have gone before, these teams really are in the thick of it. Um, and they, they need, these are necessary, it's a necessary evil almost, isn't it? Like even if a driver doesn't deserve to be there on merit, if they, if that has to be, if that has to happen, 
to make sure the survival of these teams and the people who work for them get keep getting jobs to pay their mortgages and their bills. So be it. In fact, I do remember also hearing that Dmitry Mazepan, whose son Nikita races in Formula 2 for high tech, uh, he is looking to potentially buy into the team, which means if Russell ever moves on, we could have a lineup of Latifi and Mazepan. Um, Rob, you think that it is unfortunate that Williams has to be like that, but so be it. Um, at the moment, yeah, because it's a bit of a, a vicious a vicious cycle, really, in Formula 1, because if you're not performing, um, <laughs> you know, you don't get prize money, but if you don't have money, you can't perform. Uh, Formula 1 is, is, is a sport where you need lots and lots of money to, to perform well, and Obviously, when it starts going wrong, um, the team starts losing money. And Formula One is an absolutely huge commitment. Um, you know, you need to, in in some respects, if you're not a Mercedes or a Ferrari, you know, you've really got to put put all your eggs in one basket in a in a way, and and just you know hope that it, it pays off because it's such a huge investment that you almost can't invest in anything else other than Formula One. So if you're going to do it, you better make sure it works. Um, and obviously the, the Williams family is doing their best right now to, to make sure that it does work. Um, I think to touch on what Aaron said earlier about, about Claire Williams, I completely agree. Um, you know, Paddy Lowe came into the team in, in, in 2018 and, you know, when it started going wrong, you saw Claire Williams taking a lot of responsibility. Paddy Lowe never, ever seemed to, to want to do that. And uh, as much as I respect him for, for everything he did at McLaren and at Mercedes, I think, you know, when, when things get tough like that, and, um, you know, one of the leaders in the team disappears. Um, you know, it's it's it, it's a bit of a damning indictment, really, on um, on on him, really, uh, to be honest. So, you know, I think it just shows how much of a leader Claire Williams is that she took responsibility for it. Um, but in in F one, you've got to make those tough decisions and you have to own them. And I think Claire Williams is 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 at the moment doing what she thinks is best um for the team and and yeah it probably is it probably is for the best you know you saw Salba or Alfa Romeo you know really struggling there's a reason they kept Marcus Ericsson on for so long and actually in, in the end to be fair he, he ended up performing quite well in in 2018 but um you know they, they had to keep him on keep him on as a as a pay driver because uh you know they they just didn't have the money until they got the the Alfa Romeo investment um so it is, or Kimi Raikkonen getting in there as well, because obviously investors are going to go after a champion, right? Exactly, yes. Yeah. So um, you know that that was an important move, and um, I think you know, obviously Williams could do with someone like that, but not whilst they're at the bottom. Um, so they need money from somewhere, and whilst it is a shame that they they're having to sell, um, it's you know it's a changing world, and it's a it's a tough world in which you know if you want to kind of survive then um sometimes you've got to take these decisions as much as they'll hate to do it i think gone are the days of you know damon hill nigel mansell winning championships for for williams sadly you know um it's it's kind of a, a new time a new era and um yeah these decisions have to be made it, it's sad to see it as as you say because a team like williams you would have thought should never ever be in that position but um it is it is what it is you know they are in that position now and and they have to do something about it and as i say i think it's a it's a sign of you know claire williams's leadership skills that instead of you know trying to keep hold of that team all for herself you know she's doing what's right for her for her employees for the team itself for the williams name um and i think you have to credit her for that uh, i certainly do and i do appreciate it when when team team leaders really do 
go out of their way to take accountability, even if it isn't always them. And plus also, we always see these attitudes, like Claire Williams is currently the only woman on, in the F1 world to run a team. And it just so happens to be the worst one. And it's always like over the weekend, I think Catherine Legg broke her leg. Oh, I just realized what I said there. Catherine Legg broke her Ignore that. Um, but she broke her leg in a, um, in a crash at Paul Ricard. And I mean, plenty of us saw that tweet. I think was it Jack who sent it about someone being like, oh, it was obviously a woman can't drive a car like that. I, I shouldn't swear. Yeah, yeah we always, yeah, we have all these. I mean, we had um, Manisha Carltonborn running Salva for a few years, and I seem to remember there was another woman in the who ran a team for a while. I can't seem to to remember. Do jump in. You got plenty. I, 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 in the end, Claire Williams is doing what she can, and I, I, I tip my hat off to her because you could, you could be Cyril beatable, and uh, that's much worse. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Red Bull Mechanics, that was an incredible effort by them to get Max Verstappen, who had broken a bit part of his front left suspension on the sighting lap when going to the grid. That was unbelievable. They did it with, they, on the grid, with 25 seconds left to go, they fixed it. And Max Verstappen rewarded them for their efforts, finishing second. Um, Aaron, that was unbelievable, wasn't it? Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, to get a car turned around that quick. I mean, gone are the days where I think it was 2005, Schumacher crashed into Christian Elbers on the way to the grid in China. And they just hopped into the spare cars because you had spare cars and you had that luxury. Uh, nowadays, you don't. So to get that fixed that quick, incredible. Um, you see it in other sports. I mean, I mean, once in one of the rallies, Peter Solberg crashed. And a day later, they had the car fixed. It was right off, but they had it fixed. Uh, a day later and he won the rally so you know justify the decision to fix the car um but yeah to, it's just i mean a driver like verstappen been in it on the on the way to the grid is pretty it was when i saw it i was like whoa what uh, did that actually happen um but to get that turned around that quick and then to still be quick enough to finish second and beat a mercedes it's it's a fantastic effort from everyone at red bull you know and Verstappen himself to drive it to get to second place after such a psychological sort of ding, I guess. You know, you put it in the wall once, you're thinking, oh, no, am I going to do this again? Would they have ever been treacherous as, at best as it was? Um, so, you know, well done to Verstappen, to Red Bull, for getting the job done, you know, and recovering from such a weird situation. And uh, during the race, uh, Hamilton, he had been told over the radio, that Verstappen probably wouldn't make the start, or wasn't make the start. And then during the race, he gets told, oh yeah, Verstappen is 9.6 behind. And he's like, what? I thought Verstappen was out. And he was like, no, no, <laughs> got the car fixed. And I saw it on F1's Instagram. Apparently a lot of people are like, oh, what are you looking at? Are you scared of Verstappen? <laughs> so it's like, no, he's just in marvel of how Red Bull were able to turn that around so quickly. I don't think that was, him being all, being all scared. Um, but yeah, Rob, uh, we just have to, again, we have to remark about the incredible effort that these guys go for because they're very, they're very much unsung heroes, aren't they? They are. I think the drivers get, get all the praise. I'm going to just praise Verstappen slightly because I think a lot of drivers, having done that, would have popped out the car and just left it. But, you know, he, he drove it out of the wall and, and managed to get it back to the grid. So, you know, well Risking done. Risking further damage as well. 
exactly yeah and probably risking taking someone else out or or something like that but um but anyway no the the, the effort of of the team you know to to get to, to get that fix you know that quickly mark Webber tweeted after after the race about the amount of experience and and the cool heads and the, the quick hands that that they've got in, in in that team and you know was it 25 minutes that they had to i don't know exactly but i think it, yeah, was, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't long that's for, that's for sure um you know to to get that suspension changed it's it's crazy how they managed it um and you know they, they it's 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 incredible just that the the amount of talent that Formula One mechanics have, and it does go unnoticed quite a lot. But you know, take a car like that to your local dealer, and it will take a while, take a while to get that fixed. So the fact that they managed to do that um, in in that space of time is is absolutely there's no word for it. There's no word for for you know just how amazing that is, and um, and it was just a phenomenal effort. You know, uh, they they had no right to you know to to fix that car, and somehow. They managed it. It was uh, it was like a miracle, but um, yeah, uh, and a remarkable effort from from them. Uh, you know, fantastic work, and uh, and in the end, they you know those mechanics fully deserve the podium that that Max got because um, you know to to get that car fixed like that was uh, a, a tremendous effort. Speaking of Red Bull, um, I feel like us in Formula One these days are so impulsive with forming an opinion that could easily be turned around very quickly. Uh, Austria, when Lewis clattered into Albon, oh, he's a dangerous driver. He, he really should um, change his approach. Following race, he dominates. Um, Vettel spins in Austria. Uh, we all kind of, well, we've kind of grown tired of him spin on But then, and then the following week, it was Leclerc who had had the incredible result in the first race to get that dog of a car to second. And then immediately we uh, we start saying, oh, he's a, he's reckless. He this that another. The reason I'm bringing this up, Albon, he had a torrid qualifying, and we a lot, so many of us, not me, I don't know about you guys, um, but so many of the F1 community decided to just take a, a massive dump on him from a great height. Um, George Russell came to his defence immediately, who outqualified him in the Williams. The Williams outqualified a Red Bull, who would have put money on that. Um, Albon then really put his doubters to, to rest when he drove an, an, an immaculate race to fifth. And so, uh, Rob, I, want, I just want to know not only how we feel about Albon's recovery drive, but also how we in F1 just seem to form opinions so quickly that can be in, made invalid the following week. Yeah, I think Albon's a, a very talented driver. I think he, you know, he definitely saw sparks of brilliance last year when he took over from Pierre Gasly. And, you know, um, I think what you have to remember is that he's alongside Max Verstappen, you know, one of the most talented, you know, uh, talented drivers, young drivers we've seen in a very long time in Formula One. He's a generational talent um, and someone who, you know, who is undoubtedly going to be a world champion one day. You know, he's immensely quick. So, to you know, I think what a lot of people do is is compare him to Max Verstappen and, and you can't always do that, but I think uh, there was a suggestion that the car is is very geared, you know, to to Max Verstappen's liking. Um, having said that, should that car, you know, should Albon's car still have been quick enough to, to go to Q3? Probably, yeah. But every driver has a has a bad day. You know, Albon has proven to be, you know, a very consistent driver who who will get those those results for Red Bull, particularly when when you know the, the top teams trip over. Um, 
so uh, you know I, I think it's harsh the criticism that he's that he's had especially because um you know as i say he's alongside max it's going to be tough but i, I still think he's doing a, a very good job in that car and um you know after after q2 obviously you know george russell was um very gallant in his in his defense of of, of albon and, and he's absolutely right you know he is a talented driver who's who's worn in um a lot of junior formulas or formulae um and you know red bull one way or another are being kind of accused of uh not doing enough for for albon which one is true i i, I don't really know but after a bad day on the saturday you know albon really pulled it back uh, on the Sunday, made some really, really good moves on 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 the way back up the field. Um, obviously, passed Sebastian Vettel at the end as well in in that Ferrari. So um, there could be no complaints really about about that drive. You know, obviously, it was a shame what happened in uh, in Q two on on Saturday, but um, there's no doubting that he's he's a very, very solid racing driver and doesn't deserve the criticism that he's that he's getting. But at the same time, that does kind of come with being Verstappen's teammate. Um, as for Formula One fans, I think. Every sport is is pretty fickle, um, but Formula One, especially with with how prominent social media is now, um, opinions change like the wind. Um, you know, which I think is is harsh. I think sometimes if you just you know, kind of step away from social media for a, for a few weeks, then you know you'll actually start looking at it from a, a much kind of clearer perspective and just see that actually you know, a lot of these drivers are doing a, a great job and and. Yeah, they, they don't deserve the the kind of online hate that that they get sometimes. Um, just got to remember that drivers sometimes will make mistakes. You know, they're trying to control a car at, uh, at two hundred miles an hour. It's not easy to do that. Um, so they're all they're all talented drivers. You know, sometimes you look at the criticism they get and you just think, you know, it's it's kind of sheep on social media, kind of just buying into to everything else they see. And and I think if you just take a step away from that you'll find 20 drivers who deserve to be there and um, they're all quick enough to be there and uh, they'll all have off days but they'll all have really good days as well. That's uh, very well put Rob. Um, that point you made about the car being tailored to more of Verstappen's liking, uh, Verstappen and when Verstappen was paired up with Gasly at the beginning of last year, Gasly's driving style was really almost polar opposite. It was like Hamilton Button or Senna Prost in that Verstappen was always you know, very aggressive and pointy with his car, whereas Gasly's a bit more fluid, a bit more like the conventional style. Um, and so that obviously requires a very different approach. Uh, if you see uh, in years gone by, plenty of drivers who have very different styles, Kimi Raikkonen was, had a style very similar to Michael Schumacher, which was probably why he got on so well with um, the F2007, because it had been developed by Michael Schumacher. Uh, Fernando Alonso has a very unique style, which doesn't, which requires a lot of understeer. It's always going to be very difficult to measure up two drivers who are very different. But Albon, thankfully, he is very similar, and which is why I think he got on a lot better with the car than than what Gasly did, and why Gasly I think did much better at Toro Rosso. Um, but I'm just going to take the point that Rob was making there about about F1 fans being like fickle and and sheep like. Uh, do you, Aaron? Do you think that there really is a, a danger of of opinions being well? Like Rob said, opinions can change like the wind. The op opinions are also like where wind comes from. You know, everyone has one. If you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yep. Good. Good. I'm glad you lot got that. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, I didn't want to say the air word. Um, 
But Aaron, do you think that perhaps we as F1 fans perhaps um, not necessarily are looking to try and get a negative opinion about a certain driver constantly and even if they do good, but that we are too impulsive to make a decision in that moment and not know the full picture? Yeah, I think social media for all its merits is a very cynical place most of the time. Um, you know, if one driver has a bad race, they get tons of hate for it for the, the week up until, like you said, they'll do something good the week after. Um, and then some drivers just constantly get it, like Kvyat's still not shaking off his torpedo stuff, you know, Vettel with his Spinala and all that. Um, sometimes, yeah, I think people are just just jump the gun. I, I mean, I know the drivers are thick-skinned. They probably read it and shrug it off most of the time. You know, some of the, the stuff they see, they think, oh, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, but, you know, I think sometimes we just need to think before we before we talk, speak, essentially. Um, we need to get the full picture. We need to formulate a, an opinion of a few weeks, race, races, you know, a few races rather than one race and then jumping on the back straight away because it's not going to help. It's just going to make things worse. You know, they need to, you need to sort of back the driver to do well. I mean, someone like Albon coming to a team like Red Bull who are very much behind Verstappen, um, you know, and Albon is... A quick driver is a good driver. I think is is champion material easy, um, but people aren't going to give him that chance to, to develop and to show that he's a champion in the making and that he can fight Verstappen if we don't let him. If we just jump on his back all the time, we just need to get behind him and support him. I think. Yeah, I I remember at the beginning of twenty nineteen, I, I kind of really wanted to Pierre Gasly to succeed because um, you know when in Formula E at the the cheetah team had Jean-Éric Verne and André Lotterer. I um, we the whole genre thing. Guess what? Max Verstappen, Pierre Gasly resulted in Max Gas. Like that is just poetry in motion. If I'd ever seen like a combination of names, unfortunately that hasn't happened. And instead we have Max and Albono. No, no matter. Um, but yeah, I do. I really do hope that that Albon's career isn't ruined by this because you don't. I don't think any driver. Uh, even the likes of Verstappen want to, you know, go out of their way to ruin someone else's career. You know, like, so anyway, let's move on. Uh, right. Now we've come to the point in the uh, in the debrief where we talk about Lewis Hamilton. Absolutely, utterly dominant. And it is looking highly likely, all but certain, his to lose. He's probably going to wrap up the championship again this year. Even after three races, he's shown just how much of a Goat he really is. And of course, we're never going to break free of the whole, oh, you just do it because you get the big car, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, you've no SHIT, you morons. He's not going to do that in a Williams. No offense, Williams. Um, Rob, I, I I talked about this just before we uh, started recording. There's always this hypocrisy when it comes to measuring up Hamilton against the likes of Michael Schumacher. Of course, I'm not here to say Hamilton's better than Schumacher, Schumacher's better than Hamilton. But providing he does equal him, and maybe even eclipse him next year, there'll always be little variables in there. But one thing that will never be be, um, rid of is the people who are just so unaware of the fact that Michael Schumacher was also dominated in his Ferraris way back when. So uh, just I'll throw it over to you. I want to know how would you compare these, these two very different people 
in, at the height of their careers in the most dominant of bars and why only one of them seems to get the shtick? Um, I think a lot of F1 fans, you know, work on novelties quite a lot. Um, so they'll look back at, for example, the, the V8 era, the V10 era, the V12 era, what have you, and, and say, oh, that era was better. And, you know, Michael was, was better because he drove better cars in, you know, in, in much tougher circumstances. But, you know, in 30 years time, people are going to be looking back at, at 2014 to 2020 and, and going, well, that was a tough era. And Lewis has done really well because it's, it's, it's almost like a nostalgia thing in, in, in a way that, that people cling on to. Um, but, you know, I've always said it's it's very, very difficult, uh, almost impossible, really, to compare two drivers from two different eras of Formula One with different regulations, different spec cars, obviously much different competitors. Um, you know, with, with how much Formula One has changed, even since, you know, Michael Schumacher's last championship in 2004. Um, it's even very different, you know, now compared to, compared to how it was just, um, <clears throat> just 15, 16 years ago. So, um, I, I think, I personally think it's, it's nigh on impossible to compare drivers from two, from two different eras. You know, personally, I, I've, I've always kind of had a bit of an oxymoron there because I've always said that Ayrton Senna's the, the best ever in, in F1, but you just never really know um, because it's, as I say, it's, um, it's just different times now compared to how it was then. So instead of, you know, comparing them, I think, you know, it's like the Messi-Ronaldo debate. You know, sometimes it's just a case of just, you know, appreciate um the the kind of you know magnums that, that these two are and and how much they've achieved and you know um hamilton will definitely go down as one of one of the greatest of of you know in in the history of, of formula one and so will michael schumacher um i think you know you can definitely judge it on on numbers and you know lewis is about to win seven <clears throat> there's no doubt about that maybe eight next year if um you know if, if he stays we don't even know if he's gonna if he's gonna stay for next year but he probably will um but i think you know for sure it's um it's it's difficult to compare them but i think you just have to appreciate the fact that they are both phenomenal drivers um who deserved their their championships they deserved their success and and, and they were immense talents and um i think it's it's kind of better to appreciate that than to, you know, to be at each other's throats about, about who was better. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely appreciate how amazing both of them were. And, oh. um, and we mentioned this briefly earlier, not knowing the full picture. Everyone seems so incredibly keen to dismiss Hamilton's success, right? Hamilton got to, uh, got to uh, Michael Schumacher's, 68 pole position record back in Belgium 2017. And I remember looking on some old spot forums and people being like, oh, but, but Hamilton had more races in a season to be able to achieve that. So it's no wonder. And then you actually look at the facts and you find that it turns out Hamilton achieved 68 pole positions in less races. And then when people are confronted with that fact, they're just like, oh, but, but, but Hamilton... Uh, in qualifying for his era, didn't have to run race fuel, whereas Schumacher did. He would often run heavier and other cars. Yeah, it was just, you're really plucking at cherries there, aren't you? you? You just never know the full picture. And Hamilton will never get the credit he deserves because um, how dare you try to defraud Schumacher as the greatest of all time? Hamilton is on 90 pole positions. He's on, was it 85, 86 wins? I can't remember if I checked before or after the race mm -hmm. on Sunday. He's definitely um, 91 now, that's for sure. 
Well, yeah, he's going to, he, he might be the first driver in history to eclipse 100 poles, 100 wins. And the only area he doesn't really have is he's second in all time in terms of fastest laps on 47, and Schumacher's on 77. So Schumacher lovers, rest assured, Hamilton's very unlikely to eclipse that one. So you can still pull that up in the game of top trumps. <laughs> and um, so, Aaron, again, I have to ask, why do we not give Hamilton the credit he deserves? Everyone think, seems to think he's handed everything on a plate. I mean, a bit controversially, I'm, I'm not a fan of Hamilton, to be honest. Off the track, on the track, I can't deny his talent. He's the best driver of this generation, easy. Um, I'm the same as Rob, I think there is no definitive best driver ever. Um, I think there's best driver of a decade, of, of a generation, but I don't think you can name one perfect driver, you know, uh, Senna, Fangio, Clark, Schumacher, Hamilton, they're probably the top five if you had to rank them, if someone had a gun to your head and said, choose the best five drivers ever. Um, but I think he gets the hate for probably how he behaves off the track, maybe. Um, you know, his lavish lifestyle, probably just jealous of that. Um, and then everyone says he's always had the best cars, but he he had the foresight in 2012 to move to Mercedes when they were like, they were getting up there to the top, but they weren't quite there. And he sort of saw that coming and jumped, jumped it and look at the success he's had since. Um, I, I don't see why people hate on him so much. I just don't like him because of his attitude sometimes. You know, I think he's, he can be quite petulant, but you can't deny his, his talent on the track. You can't begrudge him any championships, any wins, any pole positions he's had. You know, he's took them all off pace and off talent alone. Um, and he has had people challenging him. Nico Rosberg took a championship off him in the best car. Um, you know, uh, Vettel pushed him close a lot of seasons and then just he just fell off towards the end. And obviously he's had Alonso, Raikkonen, Jensen Button even. Jensen Button pushed him. I think it was 2011, Jensen finished second to Vettel and Hamilton didn't. Um, so you can't say he's, he's not had an easy ride because I don't think he has. I don't think Schumacher did. I think, you know, he had rivals. He had Hakkinen, um, Alonso towards the end, Raikkonen, Montoya. So, so I don't see why he's hated so much. It, it baffles me. I mean... I wouldn't hate him. Once I hated him, I just I just don't like him a bit. It should be worth noting, obviously, that we don't uh, try to invalidate people who just don't like him, don't support him. You're free not to, of course. No, nobody is entitled to uh, accept everything he says. And I, for one, have disagreed with him in the past. I remember he spoke a bit unnecessarily about IndyCar when Alonso went there to do the Indy 500. Uh, and rubbed a few IndyCar drivers the wrong way, right? Rightfully so, they, they they had every right to. Um, but and also that point you brought up about about um, people he's faced off against, like the likes of Rosberg, Alonso, Button, like everyone seems to think he just has submissive teammates, you know, and the likes of Bottas and Kovalainen. But when you look back at Michael Schumacher's list of teammates, he had way more submissive teammates in a way. Like Barrichello was told to never challenge him. Uh, then he had, sorry, Johnny Herbert at Benetton. Yeah, and uh, JJ Leto, Jos Verstappen. Uh, he he had a an agent Nelson Piquet who at that point was never going to 
really challenge. They weren't in a position to challenge for championships when they're at Benetton. So it's just like you can you can really pick your arguments, but in the end, what's the point in arguing? Because we are in an era of real greatness. He he may be a polarizing figure. He may be a marmite person, but in the end, we just have to just accept the fact that even if races are boring with him at the front, he he it's not his fault. I mean, yes, he did once say that Vettel dominating F1 might might be bad, damaging for it, but then he ends up being the one dominating. I in the end, you just you have to. It's not like Hamilton's going to be like, oh, uh, right, everyone go through. I'm clearly I'm clearly better than everyone, so I, I'll go against my own. I'll go for my own words and all that. So yeah, Hamilton potentially going to end up being the most successful driver of all time in terms of wins, polls, and championships. And every, every driver of every era that has done great, even the ones I've not been a fan of, I have to dip my hat. Tip, I don't have a hat. Tip my hat off to them and admit that they were great. So, um, what's next? Driver of the day. Now, uh, Ashley, who was in our Austrian Grand Prix debrief, suggested this after we had recorded it, and then I was a plumber and forgot to bring it up for the steering race. So, who do we rank for driver of the day and why? So, Aaron, I'm going to let you go first. Um, I think there's a few good candidates. Um, I'm not going to do what they do on the F1 games and just give it to the one again the most positions. Um, yeah, oh, that's infuriating. <laughs> I, I think the two candidates that jump out to me straight away are Max Verstappen for doing what, you know, he binned it and then recovered. And obviously Lewis Hamilton for just flying away at the start and maintaining that he didn't, you know, lose any speed or anything. He just he just drove away into the sunset effectively and took a dominant win and showed what he can do. So I think they're the two that jump out to me straight away. Rob? Um, I think I'd have to say Lewis. I guess it's a it's a boring, you know, answer to go for the winner of the race, but you know. For someone to, to get such a good start in the wet and then pull away in the wet, um, you know, just almost like an Edson Senna, just knowing where the grip was and and, and just dominating like that. And, and the gap that he pulled, you know, to, to Verstappen behind him. Obviously, you know, we know that Verstappen's no slouch, you know, he's, he's a very quick driver himself. And, and the way that Hamilton just controlled the race and, and just, it was almost like he was stroking the car home, but, you know, he was still building this immense gap. Um, it was it was a faultless race, you know. He was just imperious out front, and you know, it's just one of those dominant dominant drives um, that is, you know, befitting of, of of a world champion and and probably seen to be the most successful driver in the history of F one. Um, you know, he, he really just dominated and uh, and just led the race beautifully out front. So yeah, I find it difficult to to look past that performance, uh, and I, I would give driver of the day to him personally. Uh, as for me. Um... Aaron literally just said, oh, they give it to the one who ends up getting the most positions. I kind of have to give it to Albon. He was he was in a very difficult position uh, at the start of the race, and he really, really, uh, as I said earlier, silenced a lot of the doubters, and um, I'm very happy for him. Um, it, since we didn't do it for the first two, do we want to potentially try and think of, try to pull something out of the hat for the Austrian and Styrian Grand Prix? Um, who wants to take that? Uh, well, I feel like Austria, well, for me, it's, it's kind of easy that I'd be Lando Norris, um, yeah. for his, his laps towards the end, um, and obviously first podium for McLaren. So, um, yeah, I'd easily go for Lando in, in Austria in 
Deria, I've got such a bad memory that I don't really remember all everything that happened in in that race. So I, I couldn't tell you, but um, yeah, for, for sure it would be Lando in in Austria for me. Aaron, yeah, hundred percent agree. Um, what Lando did in Austria was was ace, um, pulling fastest lap off and toppling Hamilton. You know, that's that's no mean feat for someone, especially someone like Lando, to do. Um, you know, second season first race. Great effort. Um, like Rob, I've slept since Stiris, so I don't really remember much of it. Um, I don't know, to be honest, off the top of my head. I probably couldn't uh, tell you. You two, right. Okay. Um, I'll agree on that. Lando Norris for the Austrian Grand Prix. I think it's very difficult not to. Um, I did vote for Perez before he clattered into Albono and um, almost did a, a Hamilton, you know, putting him out at turn four. Uh, in the pink Mercedes, not the black Mercedes. Um, but since that happened, I, I, I'm dead bias, aren't I? It's going to have to be Lando again. I, I just how how he made up those positions. Like scenario seven, last lap of Lando. You can't get any better than that. So yeah, I'm going for him. All right. Before we end off today, uh, I, I I just mentioned at the start that Rob has been promoted to deputy F1 editor. That is because. Our, our former Deputy F1 editor, Jenny, has moved up to be a Deputy Editor alongside our, our very own James. So um, just want to take a moment to congratulate Jenny. Um, I, feel, I think we, we all marvel in the work that everyone puts in on the, the Pit Crew website. Um, I've, my first article, the, the one about Igor Fraga, it was edited by Jenny, but when before I knew that, that you had to have a 900 word limit. Uh, so Jenny, I apologize that you had to drudge and through all that for me, but I appreciate it. And um, yeah, it's we we are in a and we're in a great little community, aren't we? What, what would you guys say to that? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I mean, I've been here five years now, so I'm one of the old timers. I've, I've seen it, seen seen it all. Um, we have got a good community. We've got, and it's not just F1. We've got, you know, people like Warren who specialise in WRC. We've got, you know, people who have their own little areas of expertise and really bring that to the, to the table. Um, we all love F1, I think, but I think the people with the niches do help us in an extent. You know, we have a great little community of people who, yeah, I think I think it's a good place to be. Um, before I throw it over to Rob, um, I have been meaning to. Because I've been a bit worried that because we focus mainly on F1 on the pitcast, if we're sort of neglecting those sort of groups, so whether it be like the junior formula people, the rallyists, or this, the, the motorcycle, like MotoGP was this was just last weekend, and my boy Fabio Quattararo got that first win, and I'm happy about that. So, Aaron, um, being the sole editor so far, and you're going to be editing this episode. Uh, hello, Aaron in edit. How are you? You all right? Um, little Easter egg for later. Um, I'm a bit worried that if we were to start trying to like diversify the content we put out on here, you're going to be overworked to hell and back, aren't you? Yeah, well, that's the uh, it comes with the territory, doesn't it? I mean, I don't really mind. It's quite easy editing. You just got to because uh, thank thankfully we we all do quite well and we don't start swearing everywhere. We don't start pausing and doing all kinds. Thought you were dead. I nearly. Yeah, we. You know, it's it's not that hard to an extent. Um, branching out, I'd love to do it. I mean, I'm the BTCC editor, so once touring cars gets going again, I'd love to start doing 
podcast about touring cars. Um, what the only worry I have is it possibly oversaturates, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I mean, it could be wrong. You know, I mean, I mean, Rob, I don't know what you think. I mean, what do you what do you think on it? It'd, it'd be great, obviously, as 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 Lucas said, it'd be a lot more work for you. Um, <clears throat> I think we had a we had a toilet break for James the other week, so you had to you had to edit that out. No, no, um, no. Hey, he didn't edit that out at all. J- James just discreetly oh, told us on oh, phone. Now you just you just revealed to the whole world that James took a, whatever it was. I do apologise. Um, no, we had a we had a great discussion actually during that, but uh, yeah, we can, we can edit that out. That's, that's fine. Sorry, Aaron. Um, but no, no, um, no. Let's leave it in. Just yeah, leave. Yeah. <laughs> <Esses> and gigs. <laughs> Sorry, James. I've just exposed you. Um, yeah, no. Uh, it, it would be great to, to kind of you know go into other series and 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 you know other motorsports to do and do podcasts on that. It also I think opens up the opportunity for a lot more people who you know in 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 the crew you know like Warren for example doesn't really watch Formula One um, anymore. So um, yeah, you know for sure it'd give the opportunity to to people like him and, and just generally for for our, our viewers and listeners as well who you know obviously not all of our not all of our viewers, not all of our readers, our listeners of the podcast will will, will really watch Formula One. So, um, yeah, it'd be good to, to kind of branch out and, and give content for for everybody. So, um, yeah, that's that's how we get the chance to to do that as well. But um, yeah, just congrats to Jenny. Um, deserves the deserves the role. I'm going to be taking over from her. So hopefully, I can do as, as good a job as she did. And um, yeah, she um, as I say, definitely deserves that role. And um, yeah, we're all a, a tight knit group. So. Um, it's it's definitely good to see um, you know, everybody getting getting some success. Yeah, um, I just want to take a moment out there because uh, the Pit Crow Online is an open community. We will accept everyone who feels like they can potentially contribute in some way. So if you are listening to this and you are a motorsport fan and feel like you can write and you're looking for a career in either journalism or, or public relations in motorsport in any way, do feel free to get in touch with us on uh, Twitter. Uh, this is a bad time to remember the Twitter handle. Is it just pitcrew underscore online? Am I right? Yeah, I think, I think, I think so, so, yeah. yeah I think okay, yeah. right, we'll go with that. If it's not, it's in the description as well, as well as all our other social media. So if you don't have Twitter, you can add us on Facebook or Instagram. Um, and our main our main like leader, F1 Taxi, the, the crew chief, as I like to call him, Simon, uh, or Dexter Fletcher lookalike, um, I don't know if you two have heard that one before, but I've called him Dexter Fletcher because he resembles Dexter Fletcher. Folks, he's not going to hear the end of that now. Everyone who feels like they can contribute, please don't hesitate to, to come to us. You are welcome. You could potentially be involved on the Pitcast if you have uh, Zoom, that is, because uh, that's the software we use. So uh, on that very positive note, and again, a huge congratulations again to Jenny and also to Rob for his promotion. Um, we are going to end the episode. So, uh, sorry to again do this. Who here wants to um, reveal their social media handle so they can be stalked? Uh, yeah, uh, so it's at Kershaw sixteen Rob on uh, on Twitter. Aaron. Yes. So it's at Aaron Erwin seven. I mean, there's nothing really that interesting on there to be honest. It's, it's you know, but feel free to give it a follow if you want. Yeah. Well, good job selling it. Uh, and my username. <laughs> <laughs> my username on, on Twitter is the Luca format so thank you again we will be back again for another debrief and a few more podcast episodes in between I think Simon said he wanted to do some kind of like Silverstone memories um, so until the British Grand Prix uh, on August 2nd we will see you all out on track <laughs>